Thank you for uh, listening on this podcast. Many of you will know of uh, the organization I run, Kratos, as uh, an organization says its world is local. And that sort of stems from uh, my time as a local elected councillor. It was an experience that I didn't really understand what I was leading myself into. I didn't want to be an armchair politician anymore. I wanted to contribute to the community I was in. I had no clue what the councils really did. And I remember, to my horror, I think, uh, looking at the table at the counting uh, station at the election and finding out that people had actually voted for me. I was so naive and innocent in my personal journey into local government. Uh, I served four years, and it was four years uh, of being humbled and surprised and delighted and to realize that the world of local government is an incredibly special place. Uh, Most of us know that the bins get collected. Some of us moan about potholes. Uh, It's the leaves being cleaned and the drains being cleaned. But local government does so much and touches so many people. And very often it's not until we need that support that we realize that that support is there every day of the week, day in and day out. And it has this amazing structure of incredibly qualified officers who have the technical skills uh, that are needed with elected local people who come from all different walks of life, different experiences, They put forward their agenda for their communities, their visions, their beliefs, and uh, then come together as a council. And one of the things that was taught to me very early on was the mace was not just a glittering piece of um, artwork or heraldry, but in fact is the signatory of the monarch uh, attending council meetings. And as that mace goes down, the people in that room that have been elected become the council. And for me, it's a magical world. I'm always fascinated what makes people become councillors. And this is a new departure for us. It's a first time to say, meet a leader and find out why that person has taken the journey to be who they are in local government and what their experiences are. And I'm so thrilled that Jazz Athwell from uh, Redbridge Borough Council has uh, London Borough Council has joined me today uh, because, Jazz, uh, you have had an amazing sort of background. You're a successful business person and you are one of the reformers. Uh, you've made some amazing things happen in your borough. So thank you for joining me, Jazz. Thank you for having me. Well, how did you, what, when was your first uh, awareness of local government? How did that happen? I live in a conservation area, and um, and of course, when they were trying to bring out an Article 4, um, I made a lot of contributions, and uh, just being part of the area you, you live in is a really important um, element of who you are and how much you care, and explaining to people what it was all about and taking part. And I think from there, uh, one of my local councillors um, I mean, it, it's really weird because one of my local councillors I actually went to school with and uh, and he came knocking on my door and said, look, Jazz, I'd like you to join the Conservative Party 
and uh, become a counselor with me. And I said, look, you know, Mark, this is not my uh, political beliefs. It's not my political party. Thank you for the offer. But um, no. And unknown to me, he went and spoke to the other local councillor who was Labour. And he came knocking on my door and said, um, I want you to join us. And it was a long sort of slog because we weren't supposed to win. It was a conservative area and, um, and, and it made it very, very difficult. But it also was a challenge, which uh, I couldn't sort of sidestep. And of course, um, Labour being Labour, they selected me in a very safe ward somewhere else. And, and I said, no, if I can't actually be a councillor in the ward I live in, then I don't deserve to be a councillor. And, um, and everybody thought I was mad because they thought, well, we're giving you the opportunity because if you just say yes now, you'll be selected. And there's such a big majority, you are effectively going to become the councillor. And yet your own ward may not select you and they may not actually, uh, the, the public are most unlikely to elect you. So I said, well, I like those odds. Uh, we're going to win this. <laughs> And um, and of course, we turned a deficit of 25 votes into a surplus of 17 votes. Um, and and I was the the new kid on the block. And I wasn't young, but my two colleagues were in their mid-70s and they worked me so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it was a great experience. And um, but, but it was not something that I'd um, trained to become or something I wanted to become. It was something that, you know, thankfully to a conservative councillor who, who sort of saw something in me. And when I told him it wasn't my political beliefs, he was good enough to go and tell the Labour councillor. And um, and then the Labour councillor came knocking on my door. So, you know, that that's the beginning into politics. But I had a very diff different life outside of politics mm. because I started off training to be an accountant and um, didn't like it. And then I went into computer IT. And there is this inbuilt thing in me that whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. Just keep, if it needs to work 26 hours a day, then do it because it has to be done. And within two years, of um, going into IT, um, I was working in America, working in the Middle East, working, literally living out of a suitcase and, um, and doing very well. But then of course, um, children came along and, um, and then you sort of want to spend time with your children. And, and, and sort of in 2006, I, I just gave it up and said that this is not for me. It was great while it's lasted. I was hugely in demand, but then I didn't know what to do. And I set up a, a childcare business, a nursery business, and uh, have been sort of successful since then. But then, of course, in 20, 2009, when the councillor came knocking on my door, and then we won the first election in 2010. So it's been a long journey, but it's been very, very um, rewarding and certainly interesting along the way as well. And it's uh, absolutely and, and and people being successful in their commercial lives to then contribute to their communities in the way that you have is is a big ask a lot of the time. 
Uh, and certainly, uh, you said about your two colleagues were in their 70s. Uh, I remember when I was elected, I was, uh, I think, in my 40s. And I was the third youngest in the group. It's tough if you are active in making a living and and uh, everything else to find the time or, or to feel that you've got the time to contribute to your community. Uh, you, do you feel that today when you're trying to recruit people into it, when you're trying to encourage people? Yeah, I, I think um, when I became a counsellor in 2010, I have to be perfectly honest, I was very, very um, underwhelmed and very um, frustrated in that first year uh, simply because I um, I could see that this was just going along. And, and for me, simply going along is not, is not the way I, I behave or the way I work or the way I expect. And I know I tried to make a few changes and, and it was very frustrating. And in the end, I know in 20, early 2011, um, I just decided that I won't stand again because this is incredibly frustrating, uh, incredibly <laughs> slow. And of course, um, some of the more senior people who could see my frustration, who could see that the group was not going anywhere. And we'd never won as a Labour group in um, in Redbridge, in the history of London Borough of Redbridge ever. And um, And one or two of them sort of asked me, well, what would you do? And I sort of explained what we need to do and how we go forward with it and the kind of aspirations we need to have. And um, I think the story I, I, I always tell somebody is that when I said we, we need a, a leisure complex here, you know, we've only got one for, you know, 280,000 people. We need we need more than one. And, um, and of course, everybody said, well, that can't be done for less than about £25 million. And we haven't got £25 million because austerity was just starting. Mm, that's right. And um, I went with the finance director to a, a school in Bradford because I'd seen somebody who built a swimming pool and I wanted to see the swimming pool. And in the end, we built a whole leisure centre for £4.5 million when no, everybody said, it could not be built for under twenty-five million pounds, mm. and and of course, promising that in a manifesto that if we win, we will do this, and nobody believes you, um, and certainly you get ridiculed in the chamber, ridiculed in the council, and then you go and win the trust of the people, and then you go and deliver that swimming pool in that price bracket, and um, and of course, then people sort of stand up and listen, you know they they take note because they think, well, actually, this guy did promise this and they have delivered it. We never expected it because politicians do promise things before elections. Yeah, and they deliver. And it sort of changes to something else after the election. What is interesting, because it was about, uh, about 18 months you were a councillor before you became the, the leader of the Labour group. Yes. Is that right? Uh, that transition, because I, I, I remember um, uh, the established councillors, I thought, well, you know, here's a newbie and you've got to learn and blah, 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 blah. And you said about the frustration in your first year. Was it, um, was it a welcome move for you to become the leader or were you the, the new person saying, come on, 
we can do better than this and be quite challenging about it. How did that happen? Because groups are the thing that people outside politics, local politics, don't really get is the group dynamic and bringing your group with you, winning your group over. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was um, incredibly sort of um, turbulent times. Um, but once nobody really wants to take that step because you're new and um, there are, as you said, the established councillors, it's sort of through passage of time. If I'd sort of uh, played with the status quo, I would be just about coming up to, you know, head of the so-called pecking order to be chair of a committee or something. And quite frankly, I wasn't interested in being chair of a committee. I wasn't interested in doing anything other than making positive change for the residents of the borough because they've entrusted us. And um, and and one thing I did promise was once I became leader of the opposition, that if we don't win an outright majority in 2014, that I would resign because that would give the new person four years to build up uh, speed, momentum, to, to really sort of try and have a real good shot at it. But I didn't make that threat because I, for one second, thought that I would have to resign. I was convinced we were going to win. And, um, and, and we did, and we won 35 councillors the first time Labour had ever taken control, the first time Redbridge Council had been out of no overall control since, I think, 1994. And, um, and it was finally out of, you know, the, the shackles were cast adrift because we could finally make decisions. And again, when you, when you start becoming leader, you then come up with, uh, I think most people will have seen the programme, Yes, Minister. And I did come <laughs> across a lot of Sir Humphreys who would call me dear leader. And, and it's like, no, my name's Jazz. Let, let's just <laughs> work at a human level. <laughs> call me Jazz. And, um, and, of course, they found that really odd because the leader was always called the leader. And, um, and then we got to work and we, we set some very ambitious targets. And I kept saying, look, I didn't become leader to manage decline. I became leader to make difference to people's lives, positive mm. difference. Yeah. And of course, that was the time when um, austerity was really starting to really strike hard. And and I remember sort of winning the election and saying to the uh, the chief executive, I said, well, you know, there's a £14 million saving in the transformation. And he said, well, there is no transformation team. I said, yeah, but we've set it up. But he goes, well, that's a bucket that the leadership threw £14 million into. You have to now deal with it. So from recruiting a new team to making those changes, digitizing a lot of the services, I used to sort of not so much, uh, I, I've just remembered a phrase that I once used. Um, there used to be a program which I used to watch as a kid growing up called Are You Being Served? And um, and Redbridge Council at the time reminded me of the Grace Brothers, you know, the, the store owners who nothing ever changed. And it was the same old um, department store where everything kept the same. And I said, look, we're going to have to transform this whole store into something completely new, something agile, something that, you know, works in 20, 
15, 20, 16 onwards. And of course, that meant huge amounts of change because when you look at your top team and suddenly your top team, the average time spent there is about 20 years. Um, you need fresh blood. You mm. talked about earlier yeah. about councillors of certain age. I then went out to make sure, looking at the Labour Party membership and looking at some of the youngsters and, and really having cups of tea and coffee with them to to try and sort of talk to them, see, look at their education. So I went on a, uh, you know, particularly headhunting people. Um, I remember some, um, I had to reach out to other leaders who, who knew them personally to sort of say, come on, these people need to volunteer. If they don't come forward, then we won't have a group which, is going to be heading in the right direction. So I'm really pleased. I've got, I've got, I've got people now in my cabinet who are sort of in their late twenties, early thirties, which you know would be unheard of. And mm, um, mm. and of course, not only that, the new group, the new intake. We did the same thing in 2018, 2022, and so we've got a really diverse group. Um, age ranges from mid-20s um, to probably, I think there's only a few councillors who would be older than me now, and uh, and I'm still in my 50s, so, which is really great uh, mm. because it means that the future is good. We've got youngsters coming forward, but similarly, I've got that going in the council as well, in the council office, of course, so we've had a lot of change, but I think change is good because new people bring in new ideas. And those ideas uh, really transform a place. And we're making sure that as, as a borough, we don't leave any part behind. Yeah. And, I was, I was uh, sorry, I, just, I was just going to no, say I was no. in Hainal yesterday where we applied for funding and we got the funding to build a brand new school in the north of Ilford, uh, north of Redbridge, which, again, is an area which many had forgotten about. But we're making sure we reach every single part of the borough. But what, what's coming across is, you know, you, you described the way that you went into your um, your job uh, with cybersecurity. Uh, you're, you're a man that makes things happen. You're a person that has to, you know, you can do the job seriously, you can do it seriously. And, and you've, you've, you've done that in the same way with becoming leader. Uh, one of the interesting things that I think uh, a lot of people... Um, sometimes struggle with is the relationship between the officers and the members and how you bring that cohort together um you know i spend a lot of time uh trying to deal with where that's gone wrong and it's clear that it's not just about you've created a new fresh political cohort to drive along with you but also you've learned and developed the managers how to, how difficult was it uh, when you first became leader to exert or bring along the officers with you because that's a relationship that is not always achieved as well as you have yeah I, I think um at the beginning it was very very difficult because officers were set in a way um they they were recruited um perhaps to do a job and i remember sort of having a conversation about a particular portfolio and i said you know, that person, that corporate director is more or less just a manager. And um, and the chief executive said, 
well, the previous administration just wanted to manage that department. And I said, okay, well, we're not going to manage it. We're going to actually lead it. We're going to make innovative change. We need to build more. We need to do. I don't want to say any more because then it'll it'll yeah. tell you exactly yeah. which portfolio it is, and no, then absolutely. it'll tell you exactly who the person could have been. <laughs> so, but straight away, the the chief executive looked at me and he said, um, "You're effectively saying that we need to change the person." I said, "Well, that person is not doing the job that this administration wants to do," and of course. Um, that was changed and and that was done very very quickly because we i haven't got time that i don't want to be around for a long time and it's, it's strange coming from somebody who's now been leader here nine years <laughs> um but it's you if you treat every year as your last year then you can't go wrong because you want to fulfill all the demands and it's about challenge and i think th that relationship is built upon respect. I mean, I think trust is the word that most people choose, but I think respect is the better word. Because when somebody asks um, a question of officers, you either ask it completely innocently because you don't know the answer. But my officers know that nine times out of 10, this guy knows the answer. He's only asking because um, he wants it confirmed. And he wants to know that we're on top of our game. And I've had officers to say, oh, come on, Jazz. Like, you're asking me this question. You know the answer. And I said, you've only just responded because you don't know the answer. Then I will tell him the answer. And I think if you put that much um, into it, you know, if it rains heavy and I'm sort of WhatsApping my senior leadership team on, you know, it's raining really heavy. I'm worried about this part of the borough. It shows them that the leader of the council who is getting pennies for his worries um, is, is sitting awake in the middle of the night watching rainfall mm -hmm. uh, because he cares. Yeah. And that sort of engenders the same care and belief that they want. And, and it soon starts to rub off on other officers that we need to up our game mm -hmm. because this guy uh, and his cabinet and the group and the whole of the administration wants to make these positive changes. And of course, there will be people who can't rise to that challenge. And when they don't rise to the challenge, we live in a world where we're paid to deliver because my residents, and I call them my boss, you know, my boss gets an opportunity to remove me every four years. Mm. And so far, my boss has voted to keep me. And that's the thing I tell my officers is, my boss is not happy and therefore I'm not happy. And if I happen to be your boss, what are you going to do about it? And, and I think it, it starts to really sort of gel together, but they know I, I can have a laugh. They know I can, I can be friendly. They know I can go out for a cup of tea or coffee. Um, and they know that um, they can make mistakes, but mistakes we tolerate. It's lack of effort mm. um, that we don't. And, 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 um, and it's very clear from how you're describing it that it's you're consistent, you're, you're there, you're, your focus is always remaining that way. The, 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 what's interesting, you talked about you wanted, you went out your way to win your own seat where you, where you live. 
What about the personal uh, investment? Uh, you know, I, I remember someone tackling me in Sainsbury's on a Saturday afternoon, and I wasn't, uh, you know, that's fine. I was just completely <laughs> taken by surprise as someone that I didn't actually know started tackling me about something uh, in the Sainsbury's. But, you know, it is local. We talk about local government. It's local. It's even more local for you because you've represented your own ward, which I, I wasn't able to. Um what is the the price? What's the, what's the um, consequences of you making this effort for your community on you personally? I think the personal um, downside to this is that you have very little time for yourself, and um, and I've struggled at first because I am available twenty four seven, and I think in in Redbridge. Almost everybody knows my phone, and if if they don't, <laughs> they know somebody who does. And um, but it's also trying to get your local councillors involved, mm. um, getting and having an understanding family um, who know that this guy cares passionately. Um, I I saw my wife last night. I'm not going to see her tonight because she'll be asleep. Uh, by the time full council finishes about 11 o'clock. And, um, but it's a commitment that you make and people mm. know that I'm passionate and, and people that care about you will always then understand. But I think over time, what I have learned to do is to make sure that there are, you know, the phone is down a lot of the times. It is put on silent alert and of course, there are alerts that certain people, like the chief executive, like the deputy leader, um, can get hold of me at any given time. And of course, um, making sure that uh, you're always available. And the, the good thing here is that because it's always around, I mean, I, I live about half an hour from the town hall. So if I need to go home, I can actually go home. Um, but equally managing that time has been hard at times um has got easier as time has gone on or maybe my family just come to accept it which i thank them very much for mm -hmm. um but what i would say is that it is a challenge it's not easy because god only made 24 hours in the day so <laughs> <laughs> and most of them go towards the council yeah Jazz, look, you're you're my first guest, and I couldn't have asked for someone more wonderful to illustrate the dedication that goes into local government and leadership. In you, you've you've got an agenda. You don't want to be there forever. You've got a vision. To sort of bring this to a close, what's been your biggest frustration, and what's your ambition? what's the what's the end goal what where where what's still in your sights that you've got to you've got to put right uh before you move on to your next uh journey which i can't believe you'll ever stop uh wanting to do good but uh it, as being the leader of the council what's been the biggest frustration and what's the big vision for the next few years i, I think the biggest frustration has always been because it's public um service and it's public money uh, the biggest frustration has always been that when you know you're going to do something right, you know you're going to make money for the residents, you know that this is actually a really good thing to do. 
you still have to go through the various loopholes. And it's the right thing to do because it is, you know, it can be um, mismanaged. Um, we have in the past missed out on opportunities had we not had the straitjacket of, well, it has to go to cabinet, it then has to be ratified mm. by full council, and then we can say yes. And by that time, the opportunities have gone. And, um, and of course, that has been the biggest sort of frustration in the sense that um, as leader of the council, um, opportunities do come up and you do want to um, make sure that you you actually capitalise on those opportunities as soon as they arise. We have tried to streamline uh, the, the constitution. And I think um, so... That has been the biggest frustration. Um, but I think going forward, you know, the things I desperately want to sort of finish off, you know, people talk about the public health approach to tackling crime, yeah. um, violence against women and girls, making sure that, uh, that, you know, there are ample youth centres. I mean, I think the pride I take is that we haven't closed any libraries. We haven't closed um, all the public services are there. The, the things that we... We were running sort of nine years ago. We're running more than that now. And we've had over £230 million less per annum uh, from the government. And um, and today, obviously, we heard about the levelling mm. up fund and we haven't got any money for that. And on average, London Borough of Redbridge gets £127 per person, less than the average London council, which means we're missing out on about £40 million. But having said that, we'd never let that stop us. And what we're doing is making sure that we have a agenda. And that agenda is that we want to make sure that we finish the leisure centres we've started. We're building a Lido, which will be self-funding in Valentine's Park. We've got a climbing centre, which is coming up, a cycle track around a youth centre and a running track. Um, to make sure that the youth centre's there. Makata Metropolitano are coming to the centre of Ilford. Royal Nawab's just opened up. What we want to do is reclaim those spaces. And, and, and of course, as leader of the council and the lead for crime and community safety, I have the opportunity to challenge um, the Met Police. I have the opportunity to challenge the Mayor of London. I have the opportunity to really set the agenda but going forward, as the MP for Ilford South, I want to deliver the strategic views, which I can't, because I, I, I look at what an MP and what a leader of the council is. The leader of the council is the operational director, and the MP is the strategic corporate director. And I think a lot of these issues can be ironed out by being in Westminster with the adequate amount of funding and the right amount of challenge to the various uh, forces, whether it's the fire brigade, whether it's um, levelling up funding, whether it's the police. And that's what I would like to do in the future to make sure that all parts of Great Britain and in particular parts of Redbridge and Ilford South get the funding they deserve because we're not a sleepy outer London borough with lots of rich areas. We're actually got the same inner London problems as a lot of the boroughs, but we have a fraction of their money. But we're one of the very few councils whose children's services are still outstanding and adult social care is excellent. And there aren't many 
the last time I checked, there was only three councils in the entire mm, country, mm. and we were one of them. And we're the lowest funded in adult social care and the second lowest funded in children's services. And on average, we receive £40 million less than the average council. And we're still, um, you know, as the saying goes, uprooting trees in, and really going for it. And And I really want that to continue and I'd really like to play my part at a more strategic level in the future. Jazz, I think your community is incredibly lucky to have you among them. Thank you for being my first guest on Meet the Leader. And for anyone who's taken the time to listen to this, uh, these people who lead your councils are amazing. And if you've not been impressed by Jazz, then you need to get really to grips with who's leading your communities. Jazz, thank you so much. And I wish you well in the future. And I really look forward to watching you achieve all those things because you are a person that makes things happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.